Melbourne AA Steps Weekend 2020. This is Simone talking about Step 11. Oh, hi everyone. Hi friends. I'm Simone. I'm an alcoholic. Oh, I'm a bit moved, Sanjay. Thank you. Um, what a beautiful message. Mm. Um, yeah, I want to thank the committee for asking me to share as well and um, welcome all the newcomers. And it's a miracle that everyone here is sober. I was just thinking that partly during your share that, you know, any time I want to feel connected to a miracle, I come to an AA meeting when I don't feel it about myself. Um, just quick background for me, I came first came to AA when I was 27 and I actually said a prayer on a friend's bathroom floor, I'll do anything, help me get sober, and I ended up in AA. And that was in 1997. And um, I think that might have been the last prayer that I did for the next eight years. Um, I ran my program on the whim of the storm where it took me. Um, I used my self-will and self-reliance and everything. And I only um, can sort of see this now that I've come back and it's been another 14 years. So I only know this now because I've done some work to have that truth to tell you. But um, I had a big list of entitlements when I came in. My sponsor said to me after a few months sober, I said, um, it's, it's not all right. What, when's it going to happen? The cash and prizes. I had, I had a list, a life beyond your wildest dreams. So I've got a list. <laughs> Elwood, little picket house near the beach. I'm not saying opposite, but near. <laughs> Small comedy career. Writing, that's fine, behind the scenes, but I expect some success. Um, I'd like to get into NIDA first time round, thanks. And um, partner, um, you know, yeah, worship the ground I walk on. I mean, come on, deserve it. None of that really happened. Um, I do remember the first thing that did happen, I got this beautiful little apartment in um, St Kilda and I've never had a rental like that before and I sought some feedback from the realtor and, and I rang her the next day and said, I was just wondering why I got it because back in those days there were like 50 people lined up and she said, well, you shook my hand and nobody else did and you introduced yourself. And I remember back then thinking, oh, wow, that's some direct evidence. But I didn't um, pray again until um, nearly nine years later when I picked up a drink and... The best thing I can say about that eight and a bit years is for other people is that I wasn't drinking that whole eight and a half years. But um, what I got after that couple of months was a big, a big, look, honestly, it's like it was another person's head and I woke up one day after a few months and I saw step one. I knew I was powerless over alcohol and my life was unmanageable and I um, contacted a member who was a peer who by that stage was nine years sober and did the drill, came from, you know, that lineage and I said, I've broken my sobriety, I need help and she said, when you come back to Melbourne, I'll help you and I started praying then, please God, keep me sober. I put it on my phone, old phones back then, please keep me sober. I was terrified I'd forget, I was terrified I would drink again because I would if I didn't do what I needed to do. So I had the motivation to start praying. And I can honestly tell you that my dream was, please just keep me sober till I die. 
I'll accept anything. I, I, I mean it. I, please keep me sober until I die. Yeah, I'd like some peace, but I understand, you know, and that, that for me is how I still feel today. That's all I want. I want to die sober. But through that gift of desperation and doing the hard work, it's gotten me to a different place. So my... um. My, my prayers used to be, I was terrified, I'd wake up in the morning and my prayers were by my feet, checking your feet. It was 21 meetings a week, it was every single meeting in the inner city, you know, around St Kilda. I got the home group, I put my hand up for everything and, and I, I started praying. I couldn't meditate, I didn't even know what it was, I couldn't sit still, I couldn't watch television. All I was doing was meetings, praying in the morning, God please keep me sober and then going throughout the day and at night, thanks for keeping me sober, your will not mine, I'll do anything. And I went through the steps, by nine months I'd done the steps and I was starting to feel bit comfortable and and I'd rung my sponsor a few times and said listen I know I've dedicated a year um, to not getting in a relationship but nine months I'm feeling you know pretty and she said to me well you can go and do that but you committed to not do that and to stay sober and you know to help others and I stamped my feet and said, I've rung six other people that I said I should. And she said, it's up to you. But you can have the consequences of that. And that was that. And I've checked in with her several times over the years. She's a good friend of mine about that and say, what was I like? Was I hard work? She said, yeah, you're hard work. You are hard work, not you were. But you always, you always, it didn't take long to get you, you know, that reality back. So... That type of prayer, for me, meditation would be similar as our previous speaker said. I'd, I'd try and do a few minutes in the bath or I'd try and find the perfect place to sit and I just couldn't find it. I just couldn't do it. I'd pray on trams over and over, but I couldn't do long prayers. My head, one day I was on a pram and I felt a tram and I felt like my head was actually exploding and all I could do was just say, help me God, help me God. But at a, two and a half years sober, something happened to me that um, makes me emotional because this is where I started to dig deep. I met somebody who um, helped me take my spiritual life and my conscious contact efforts because there was no real conscious contact other than, you know, your odd, your odd serenity prayer in the toilets or whatever. And that's all good stuff, all good stuff. Um, but I had my daughter who's 12 this year and what I learned is it's very hard to um, try and schedule in times to be spiritual and then go out and plug back in and I had to find something that was on the fly, which works really well for me because besides being alcoholic and whether this is the alcoholism, I've got a panic disorder and post-traumatic stress. So the pause when agitated has taken me years to be able to actually do. And the only way I could do it was physically to pause and to stop and make myself not take another step until I could just stop. To disengage from the self-will and the self-reliance and this beautiful brain of mine that saved my life for so many years and then to know now that the way to go forward was to completely let go of that was was just... a. a, a I can't even tell you the, the terror. And I remember speaking to Hippie Neil from the Dandenongs. I said, what's faith? What's faith in meetings? And he said, faith are the actions that we take, Simone. 
what? I didn't. I was like, what do you mean? He goes, it'll come to you. Thank God this is an action program because I'd still be at home drinking by now wondering why it didn't come to me. Faith are the actions that we take. I can't trust my thinking. Um, I, I hesitate to say I can't trust my feelings. If they don't have words, I can trust how I feel. But when there's a story, that's my thinking. When there's a story, it's gone too far. Um, I remember saying to someone, do I not really have to think? And they went, you don't have to think. The idea that you could actually get through life by intuition and inspiration and not use your head, wow, really? So for me to be able to get to that place, it's still a work in progress, but I've I've worked hard with that conscious contact to me was just mindful prayer all the time, no matter where I am, checking in, checking in, step 10, staying conscious, staying conscious. Hypervigilance can work for you sometimes when you've got panic disorder. It can work, and I made it work with my daughter It's easy to be serene when she's maybe at her dad's for the week and I'm lying back watching Netflix. But, you know, over the years, at different times, having that eyes inward and feeling the internal reactions of needing to give selflessly and feeling internally not feeling that way, that's what I mean about digging deep and doing it on the fly. I set up a um, naughty corner for my daughter when she was two and a half and I put her in her room and five minutes later I took her name off and put my name on it, Mum's Calm Corner, because, and I truly believed from that moment, if I stay calm, the rest will follow. I truly, truly believe in if I just stick with the spiritual stuff, the rest will follow. I really like that because I'm lazy. I'm still waiting for the physical part because it says the mental and the physical will follow. And I'm not having a go at my size. I'm having a go at I don't always follow through with the um, the evidence that I'm loving the temple that I live in because I might eat too much chocolate or I might not eat properly or I can't be bothered, but that's all right because I don't need to go down that track, that self-will. If I'm going to sit there and say, I shouldn't have that, I should not. We've got a story going on here. Let's listen to what's going on. I really feel uncomfortable. I I can't face this today. This hurts. I need some chocolate. It's cool. Do it. (laughs) But you know you're doing it. Make a choice, Simone. Make a choice. I don't like choices. I always wanted this little gnome to sit up here and be my higher power. I love how George Costanza gets challenged on his belief in God and he says, uh, Seinfeld says to him, oh, um, I thought you didn't believe in God or someone does. And he goes, I do for the bad stuff. (laughs) I really relate to that. It's so easy to blame. And I remember being about six years ago, I was trading in a car or something, it was a real bomb and, you know, I was trading it in and on the way back from them saying, oh yeah, we'll give you $500 for it or something, or $1,500, on the way back to Ballarat it broke down and I pulled over and I screamed at God, I, I, I really was shocked at the rage that came out and I screamed and I screamed and I swore and I yelled and then I stopped and I thought, I'm communing with God. <laughs> actually am. I was speaking to somebody and laying that out there because in my mind, God loves me unconditionally, 
So, you know, have at it. I'm allowed. The self-entitlement can work as well sometimes. And I sat there and I sat there and, and I was, it was a real, it was one of the real breaks in the circuit of, from going to the action to feeling it because different people would say to me because I asked, right, because I could say to you, I used to get told if you don't feel it, it's not right and I might be able to suck some sympathy out there but guess who went and asked for that advice? So that's on me and maybe that's true but for me what I've learned and it's such a relief to me is that it's not how I necessarily think it's not how I feel it's what I'm doing that's such a relief because at the end of the day I can check off the evidence if I'm acting like someone who's sane and sober um I think one of my biggest fears putting down alcohol was um being alone you know I could say oh you know I'm all right, I can self-partner. I used to go to meetings with fake engagement rings and say, I've got a new partner, I'm in love with them, it's me. And it was just, I was just trying to get through, you know. Um, And it was hard because life happens to all of us, but I think this guy said to me once, you're going to be tested. And, um, and, And just thing after thing kept happening. One parent died, um... The next one died, you know, just a whole ream of th- list of things. But in the back of my mind, I always had that goal. I'd say it at meetings, no matter what happens inside where I live, I want to be okay. It doesn't matter about the externals. And when it got to a point where I thought there could be no more was after my mum died. And my mum used to say we were kindred spirits, and when she died, I thought, I can use her as my higher power now because she's passed over, it's okay, and I did, and I prayed to her all the time, and that's okay because she wasn't a human power, and that's okay if it is a human power, if it's, you know, the group of drunks and other people, but to get you through for a period of time, but for me, that was where I just, something changed me because I depended on people for a long time, You know, I've got a lovely woman in here who was a sponsor for a while and, look, thank God I went from not ringing people to ringing them 15 times a day, you know. My last sponsor said to me too, she said, you are hard work, Simone, and and I said, oh, God, really? And she said, yeah, because you dig your feet in. You get there in the end, but you dig your feet in. (laughs) But I get there in the end. But when my mum passed, it was the last time that I had a um, hospital, psychiatric hospital stay, thank God. Thank God for private health. I really mean that. Um, And I just knew inside myself I was sitting in a house. I had reached out to someone and said, I'm not feeling safe. I think I'm having a breakdown. And they had said, I'll be there soon. And they didn't get there for an hour. And I sat there in that house thinking... If you were depending on human help, you'd probably be in a bad state right now, Simone, wouldn't you? It was really just really objective thinking. And then I was sitting there and it was really calm and I thought, well, they're not here yet and no human power is going to keep you. And and again, that was another shift where I I could literally see this road open up and it was then that I just really delved into what I call the the wolf's den, the black wolf's den. There's a 
book called um, St John of the Cross, and I don't know the full story properly. I read it years ago, but the message was that I think he ended up getting sent to a cave somewhere and for crimes or something, and he had to stay there, and he found himself within that time because there was nothing but him in his head. And I learned over those few years how to sit with me in my head. When I wake up in the morning, my head doesn't go right off. I don't have to get up and make a list and do a million things. I can connect consciously to God, not always straight away, but pretty quick. There's a a dialogue that goes on. I don't know whether that's mental illness or not, but it's comfortable. (laughs) I do talk to God. It's not always God in the sky. It's not always Buddha. Now it's just some sense of connection to ancestors and I love Magdalene Burns at the moment um, because I have prayed for years, thy will not mine, but it took me until the last year to actually get the, and the power to carry that out. Thy will not mine, thy will not mine. I don't want to drink today do what I need to do to help somebody else, but have I engaged and got out there in the big, beautiful world? No, afraid, in my my den. But slowly, slowly over time, what happened in those years is that I got really comfortable inside where I live. And I don't know anything other than that feeling now. Most things happen through inspiration and and, um, intuition. When it doesn't, it feels, makes me feel sick, Um, and I've been able to learn how to disconnect from my head and live a life beyond my wildest dreams because that feeling of peace is beautiful. And before I finish, um, and I don't have it all the time, of course, but because I come regularly to AA and have that discipline, that's what set me up, and I'm so grateful to AA for that. I want to just quickly tell you there's a couple of women that are sort of connected to out of AA in some ways, and it's like our lives have been identical and those women by their own words are broken women and my heart breaks for them because I've had the same upbringing as them but what I've got is a hope I've got a nourishing connection with something higher than myself and yeah I get angry about stuff and I've got to learn to stand up and say when something's not okay it's not all right to shove my head in the sand anymore you know that's what I want to be is someone that can be able to stand up when something's wrong but do it in a way that's loving to myself and to that person. And I think what a blessing, not only has AA kept me sober, but I'm living on this this connection to something that just keeps me going through with hope and love and light, not all the time, and I can help them too. But there's a beautiful bit in the book that talks about I could no more do without it than sunlight or the fresh air, and I really love that because... Um, I just love the idea that it doesn't matter where I am in the supermarket, anywhere, I can just take that moment and plug in. And how I plug in is I plug out of my head. I love it. It's so simple. Every, everything's been backwards for me in AA. What do I do? What do I do? Don't think. Oh. But no, don't think. Well, think if you want, but go to a meeting. I say that to women now. In, there's a woman in Ballarat. She's such a rebel. She's amazing. And, and I said, be a rebel, get angry, do what you want, but just do it on the way to a meeting. It's fine. <laughs> just do it on the way to a meeting. You can do that. You're allowed to think. I've got the most amazing imagination. It's awesome. It, it's amazing. But I can step out of it and plug back in. But I just want to end by saying I get really emotional when I see new people in the room because 
I was a mess when I first came in. I was uh, put in hospital several times. And if I can stay sober and not just be standing here and saying, well, I'm sober, but life is shit. I'm sober and inside where I live, I'm okay. And there is such an abundance of joy and love that's not within me, but that if I step out of myself, I can plug into. And I just want to thank you all from the bottom of my heart for asking me to share because it's it's such a privilege and an honour. And thank you so much. God bless. Information about the Melbourne High Steps Weekend is available at stepsweekend.aagroup.org.au.